I'm Kelly Rose Lamb, and this is Bold. This show is for women who believe there is more than the script we've been handed. I interview women and hear their stories to uncover the common thread of boldness running through their lives. The conversation that I had with Jen Wint starts with a robust conversation about the best cookie in Vancouver. Now, this is a very important topic, and I suggest you listen. Try all the cookie recommendations Jen gives you and report back. Beyond that, this conversation also touches on various topics, including the challenges of motherhood, the importance of storytelling, imposter syndrome, and the power of speaking one's truth. I would say overall, the conversation emphasizes the need to support and uplift one another and the impact of story, both the stories we tell others and also the story we tell ourselves. All the conversation highlights the value of vulnerability, community, and self-acceptance. Now, I'd love to tell you a little bit more about Jen. Jen Wint is a writer, a public relations specialist, and the founder of Wint Communications. She is passionate about sharing stories that connect people, communities, and brands. Jen is the author of Josie's Busy Calendar, a self-care story for kids. She is also the contributor to Mom Babes, a motherhood anthology. She lives in East Van, Canada with her husband, son, and daughter, where she is on a quest, like I said, to find the city's best chocolate chip cookie. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Jen, welcome here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. I'm really excited as well. I'm just going to give the listeners a little bit of context. We met through an organization I lead called Hello Yellow. Um, our goal is to make Vancouver friendlier, one conversation at a time. And you write for Ripple of Change. Can you tell us quickly what that is? Yeah, Ripple of Change is a social action publication. It's a hard copy magazine as well as a digital platform. And we, I have the best job with Ripple of Change because I get to meet great people and tell awesome stories about um, organizations around the world, big and small, that are changing, that are pushing, putting social action into reality and changing the way that we think and the way that we act. Well, it was really wonderful to interact professionally, and I'm so excited to learn more about all of the things you're interested in. Jen, before we get into some heavy hitters, I know that you are very interested in finding the best cookie. Um, can you tell us where in Vancouver to find the best cookie and what makes it that? This is the hardest question I've ever been asked. On <laughs> I so love that status. That's amazing. Me if, I, <laughs> if I trip and stumble and regret my answer. We'll hold you to it. Um, yeah. I live in East Van, so I'm spoiled for choice when it comes to cafes. And there's a new bakery that just opened in my neighborhood called Tall Shadow. Okay. Yes. They are on East Hastings, just near Nanaimo Street. And they are I, my current front Oh runner. my goodness, why? It's hard to say, really, because they're fresh, right? Like they, they're obviously baking them every day in there. They've got different options every day. And, and right now I'm a little bit just taken with their bakery because their staff are so friendly and it's a beautiful space and you go in, you know, you can get a coffee and a cookie and just really disconnect from reality for 20 minutes or however long I have to be in there. So I have to say that the whole experience of their cookie is what's wooing me at the moment. But I love a classic chocolate. Like they do fancy one. Yeah. They also have a funfetti, which I really like. Funfetti. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just, they're really fresh. You can tell they use great ingredients. And uh, yeah, they're just that like chewy in the middle, crunchy around the outside. I love them. An honorable mention, of course, has to go to YVR Cookie. Okay. They are big 
big cookies. Uh, they deliver them to your door. They come in tons of crazy flavors. I love their s'more. Yeah, they're so good. And then my other honorable mention is Jane. Oh my goodness. Classic, and warmed up. Warmed up. Classic chocolate oh, chip. That, you just can't you go cannot wrong. go wrong. And let me just probe this. I mean, the hardest question you've ever received is like such a compliment to me. So I'm just going to probe it for a minute. When are you most inclined in the day to go on your cookie adventures? Usually in the afternoon. Yeah, same. Like the, yeah, like around the kind of between two and four. Because yeah. I'm not going to ruin my dinner. Mm-hmm. But I'm far enough away from my yeah, lunch. And you're having a little <laughs> post-lunch nap time. Yeah. And I often use it as an excuse to get away from my computer, to get yeah. out and to, I, I try to walk. I'm so spoiled for, for the location that I'm in. So I try to walk to get a cookie, get a bit of fresh air. It's really about the experience. I love it so much. Well, next time you're on your 3 p.m. cookie yeah. hunting, let me know. I'll be right there beside you. Well, Jen, you are also, as well as being a cookie connoisseur, well, like, what do we call you? It's, we should cookie, cookie monster. monster. I love it. Um, you are also a writer, public relations specialist, and into communications. Can you tell us about what this work looks like and how you got into it? Yeah, I got into PR. Um, so I have an English and sociology degree. So I'm interested. I was always interested in reading, writing, literature, and then the sociology part of my education really interested me in people and stories and why do we act the way we act and what influences us to do certain things. And I didn't intentionally pursue mm. PR, but I just, I, I met a woman in a business I was working in actually as a, I was working as a, in the front office and there was the PR manager at this real estate business. This was actually when I lived in Australia a long, long time ago. And I was just enthralled with her. The way that she told stories and the way that she talked about our business was so different um, or the business I was working for at the time was just so different to the way that other people, including the real estate agents, spoke about the business. And I just became so fascinated with her. And eventually I just asked her, can I move away from the front office and answering the phones? And can I just work with you? And she said, yes. And my entry into PR. Um, so a lot of what I do and the experience that I have has been learned. I don't actually have a PR degree. Mm. I value education mm-hmm. so much, but I also think there's so much to be uh, to be said about job experience. And my nature is just to want to learn. I mean, that's how I began. I said, can I work with you? I want to learn more about how you're doing this. And the writing part of my career came a little bit later as I pursued, and PR has changed so much. Like when I started PR, there was no social media. Right. There were no influencers. We were literally like pitching hard copy newspapers and magazines and telling them stories. And at that point, publications had huge newsrooms with people excited about telling stories and people that had the time to dig into stories and to do research and to work with you on a story. Back in the day, I worked with publications like local publications and small publications that would send a photographer to take their own photos. And then as media has evolved, and that's the conversation for another day, maybe the evolution of of local media, especially um, with the digital, the way that things have changed digitally, Newsrooms have just become smaller and they've become more and more stretched. And I don't even remember how long ago it was, but I started getting answers back from publications and platforms that I was pitching saying, we love this story. It's so interesting. We wish we could do it, but we just don't have the capacity. We don't have the time. We don't have the writers. And so at one point I said, and I'd always written and I had contributed lifestyle pieces and whatever to a few publications. But I said, can I write about this? Can, can I write this for you? 
And then I started getting asked to, to write. <laughs> so it go hand in, in the sense that I'm pitching a story and I'm also able to, at times, really flesh that out. And you know, it works for a PR client who gets to be involved in the way that their story is told. And then it also works for me because I get to flex my more creative muscles and ask my own question in that storytelling process. That's so interesting. I would love to have that conversation around how media has changed at some point. It's, I mean, even just in our own lived experience that you can see that there are continual changes. So it's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to PR, what are some of the most interesting things about the job? The thing that I love about the job is that I get to meet interesting people. I get to engage with brands. I tend to work with kind of smaller brands or entrepreneurs. And basically I get to pick their brain and I get to learn so much about them and I get to chat with them and decide what we think is interesting. And then we get to go out and tell those stories. So I talk about myself. I say, I'm a megaphone. Mm. Like I take you and your story and your brand. Hello Yellow is a great example. You know, you guys are doing this very cool thing. And then all I do is like attach this megaphone to you and then turn it up real loud and get to tell that story. And the fun part of my job is I get to think now, who, who would this story appeal to? Because stories don't appeal to everybody. Obviously you have to be strategic. And then the kind of connector part of my personality and, and of my profession come into play. And it's, I have a story and I have a variety of outlets and which way do I want to point that megaphone for, to get the best, um, the best coverage. So I just, I get to ask a lot of questions and, and I get to talk about things that interest me. If you could do PR or be, or lead the PR team for a brand or a person who would be your ideal person? Oh, geez. I don't know. I really enjoy, I could list off some like famous people, like sure. Glennon Doyle. And I think the higher profile people are the more interesting it gets. And I was thinking about this the other day about, uh, about Taylor Swift, the, the, how popular her concerts have been and what her ticket sales are. Um, and thinking from a PR perspective, I was having this conversation with a friend, like she is killing it. And then my PR brain went, well, she, is she killing it? Because she's not being that accessible to all of her fans. And I'm a student, mm -hmm. so no knocking Taylor here, but, but she's not being super accessible to all of her fans. She's the people are making a lot of money off of her. So there's like a story there that would be really interesting if she was willing to speak to it, which I'm sure she's doing. But yeah, the bigger the name, the more you get the pros and cons. But what I really love working on is people that don't have much of a profile and people, I mean, we all have stories, right? You could interview anybody. You could have a podcast interview with them and it would be interesting. So find those people that aren't those big names yet. Um, like I love working with authors because authors pour their heart and soul onto pages, into a book, but a lot of times they haven't talked about it and they say, oh no, I couldn't be interviewed. And I'm like, but you've just, you've put your whole story into this book. Now you don't want to talk about it. So yeah, just finding those untold stories and those voices that are not the big voices. They're not the main characters, I guess you could say, but they're the supporting characters who have just as much of a story and an interesting perspective. Well, thank you for sharing that. I also love the insight on Taylor Swift. I had this exact same conversation yesterday. I was like, I'm a little bugged by her. It's not actually her. It's like the beast that she's created on how expensive tickets are. I was like, it's, it could be detrimental. So it's a really incredible insight, but also coming alongside those people who don't have a voice yet or a platform, better way of saying it, and that you help um, bring that megaphone for. It's just so powerful. Thank you for your work.
Um, you said that you are a connector and I know that you're a storyteller. I've seen it. What does it feel like to highlight these people's stories in a behind the scene type way? I think it's where I'm most comfortable. I'm able to later today, I will chat to people, I'm sure, in the rest of my day. And I'll say, I spoke to Kelly this morning. You've got to check out her podcast. I'll probably send them a link and say, listen to all these episodes. But I'll probably do that before this episode comes out. Right. <laughs> um, because I, I love to highlight what people are doing. And I love to talk about other people. It's much easier, I think, to talk about other people than it is to talk about yourself. Because when I talk about you, I can just say all the good things with no fear of anyone thinking that I'm not being humble or I'm not, not being mm. full. So yeah, I really enjoy that. And also I only have, I mean, I have many stories, but I'm only one person where the work that I do, you pick your audience, right? If I'm at a children's birthday party, I'm probably going to tell different stories right. about people than I am at a professional networking event. It's interesting. I, I struggle with this as well. Uh, hence I'm interviewing, right? I'm like, let I would love to hear your story. Talk to me about your life, everything that you've been through. What would you say when you observe other people on trying to like take up more space, trying to be louder, like these authors, for example, who haven't had a platform yet, what does it look like to coach them through sharing their voice? And what are some of the barriers in getting there? Confidence is a huge barrier and exposure you know, the first time that you talk about an accomplishment that you've done, it's more challenging. And the more you talk about it, the better mm -hmm. you get. But the way that I encourage people is the more we share stories, the more we create safety for others to share their story. And, you know, as a woman and as a mother, when, when my mother was mothering, we weren't talking about how hard it is to be a parent. We were just suppressing that and saying, oh yeah, everything's great. And if you struggled, it was like you were failing. Mm -hmm. And now I think we are so much better at sharing hardship and, and social media has been really powerful in that, that we're showing raw parts of our life. We're showing more kind of real time um, challenges that we're facing. And then we see people coming through those. And so when people share their truth, um, they create safety and they create community for others to do the same. And that's the angle that I share with someone when they say, that they're, they're not comfortable sharing their story because it's hard to talk about. I can remind people that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. They're not the only person who's likely experienced this, but they might be the first person who has the courage to share it, which then creates um, that opportunity for others. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Great point. And then you said, oh, thanks to social media, we're seeing more of a raw expression of story. Can you talk about some of the power of story and then the normalizing of the struggle that people go through. What has, what have you observed in that space? I think I mean, social media is such a double-edged sword for sure, because we all have an equal platform in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And everybody's a reporter these days, which is one of the reasons I think some of our newsrooms are struggling the way that they are because these trained professional journalists are, have the same visibility sometimes as somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about yeah. <laughs> and just happens to talk about it really loudly. So yeah, I think, it, but social media has given us that platform that if you are like one thing that's, that seems to be coming up in a lot of my conversations is adults being diagnosed with ADHD. And that can be a really tough thing to talk about, but it seems like it's being talked about a lot. And maybe I'm having more conversations about adults being di diagnosed with ADHD because 
we are having more conversations about it, which then perpetuates more conversations and normalizes it and gives people the opportunity to, uh, to ask their questions and to, to find out what others are going through and see if their experience can relate. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear your story. I know you, you've just said, I love platforming other people and sharing their stories and being a megaphone, but can we hear your story? Yeah. I, you and I chatted about this beforehand, but when you asked me to be interviewed, I said, I have lots of great clients you should interview. And when you said you want to talk to me, I thought, oh, and then, and then you and I had a conversation a little bit about imposter syndrome where you, why would you want to talk to me or what do I have to say that's of value? And then it's so funny because I don't practice what I preach. I, I, here I am encouraging other people to share their story. And then I'm thinking that mine isn't all that interesting. And, and that's, I guess that's come to the forefront for me because I published a children's book in 2021. And when that came out in the process of writing that and producing and publishing that book, I thought, well, this is going to be a walk in the park because I'm in PR. This is going to be no problem. And then the book came out and I froze. Interesting. I just, yeah, I just didn't know. And I found that when I was out socially or professionally, my friends were saying, Jen just wrote a kid's book. And I did. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wasn't leading with that and I wasn't talking about it. And, and so it's been a really interesting, and I'm still not great about that. It's like so many people don't have their own website, but they build many yeah. websites for us. Thank you, Jen, for voicing imposter syndrome. I think most people, could I say most people struggle with that, but few people have the courage to voice it. Do you think that's accurate? I think so. I think people have areas of their lives that they're maybe more confident in and areas of their lives they're less confident in and they might feel like an imposter. Yeah. But I think that's how, especially women, like maybe you can say all yeah. women. I don't know if there's many men. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I left it for you to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we're, we're kind of socialized to be, to be quiet. And if you talk about yourself, you're bragging mm -hmm. and nobody likes a brag. I would love to hear more. I do the same thing with different accomplishments or the different things I'm leading or building. I'm super, I wouldn't say coy. That maybe sounds a little bit too negative, but I'm definitely not quick to sit down and you know, take up all the space in a conversation with a bunch of friends and be like, guys, I just, <laughs> I just launched my podcast. I'm writing a book. Like I'm not quick to PR my own life, but very quick to turn to the person next to me and say, Hey, look, my friend is writing a, you know, youth fiction. You should give it a listen. What is that? Like for yourself, you've just said the same thing. I don't know for me if it's confidence. Is it that actually I've been conditioned not to talk about my success? Yeah, it's interesting because as you were just talking, I was thinking, well, sometimes it's easier to share things about our own accomplishments on social mm -hmm. media because you're talking to a void. You're not talking to a person. And we all make the assumption that people can scroll mm -hmm. on if what we're saying is not of interest. I think sometimes it's a confidence and you don't want people to say, oh yeah, I, I listened to your podcast and I didn't yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, that would be really hard to yeah. hear. Whereas if we don't bring it up, we don't make ourselves vulnerable. And, and also, I don't know what it is. I, I think a lot of it is just the way that women are conditioned mm -hmm. to, to be people pleasers and by going outside the box and having, you know, like you have a lot of vulnerable conversations on your podcast and maybe you, know, you feel really good about that and you feel confident in what you're doing, but maybe exposing that to other people, it does open you mm -hmm. up and, or to people thinking, well, why does Kelly think that she's got anything? To yeah. Say? That's a very normal Which is, thought process for me. Yeah. But I put one foot in front of and the I other. Think too, as, 
Yeah. And then as we share in these bigger platforms like social media, then on social media, you find your community of supporters, Mm -hmm. I think. And hopefully in, in real life, you have a community of supporters as well. But yeah. And I think also when we talk about our accomplishments, there's always in my mind that you want to then give everyone else a platform to speak about theirs as Mm -hmm. well. And so then I end up asking more questions than, you know, than sharing myself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's very interesting. It's perplexing to me because I think, I mean, it's been a goal of mine is to be more confident taking up more space and not just in the sharing of successes, but this is who I am. When other more dominant characters enter a room and are like, let me tell you everything about everything I'm doing. I'm just like quick to turn into an interviewer and be like, tell me more, (laughs) you know? And so it's an interesting practice to go. I matter. My thoughts matter. My ideas matter. I can also offer information without being asked, but I think that is very much a like a female learned behavior to answer when asked essentially. And even though it takes a lot for me to even tell you, that's my like day-to-day experience of the world. Like I only really answer questions people ask me. I'm never quick to be like, okay, guys, listen. (laughs) It's really fascinating. And then I think also like as a white woman, I've become increasingly aware of the space that I do take up. Great point. And when I'm speaking, I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there someone in the room that might have something more valuable for me to say? Because in a group of women, I'm probably, I don't know, I, I would say I'm probably a bit more speaking up, but then you know, increasingly over the last sort of two to three years, I do look around and say, whose voice is valuable in this conversation? And are, are the white women louder than, than the, the women who aren't white? Yeah. So really important. And then I'm in my head yeah. so much that the event is right. Over. And you're like, oh my, <laughs> I haven't said anything. <laughs> well, at least you're thinking about those things. I think a lot of us probably aren't. And so it's such an important thought process. And one, I think it's, yeah, really important just to talk about. Um, can you tell us what your, yeah. your kids book was about? Yeah. So it's called Josie's busy calendar. And I wrote it Uh, After my daughter, my second baby was born, I suffered a lot of postpartum anxiety with her. And I was talking to my son about who was at the time three, um, two and a half, three, talking to him about anxiety. And he just, he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big reader. And so in my parenting journey, whenever I have questions or whenever we're going through a transition or like we were moving or like potty training, anything like that, I turned to books and I started looking for books about anxiety and I couldn't find anything that, that felt like it hit the mark. And so I had written a bunch of little stories for him. And one of them, I just thought, I wonder if this would be of interest and of use to other parents. And uh, the book is called Josie's Busy Calendar. And it's basically about an overscheduled little girl who feels really anxious about her calendar <laughs> and has to learn to make time for herself. And it's a book that I've had so many adults say, I needed to read this. I needed this book. And myself and my husband's always saying, you need to read this book, Josie's Busy Calendar. You need to slow down, make time for yourself. So it's an ongoing thing. So good. When you said the title, I was like, oh my goodness, she's speaking to me. (laughs) That's my life. Yeah. What does it look like for you to navigate your role as a mother in addition to everything else you do? How do you manage? Oof. That's a tough one too. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's interesting because I am self-employed. People often say to me, oh, that's so great. You get to pick your own hours. 
And I, I always kind of think, well, I don't really get to pick them. I just take the hours that are left because my kids, obviously I got to get them out the door in the morning and then I get to work. And then I work a lot in the evenings. Um, I work some weekends. And so I kind of work around my kids' schedule, I guess you could say. And I do prioritize my work and my clients, but it's always very much hand in hand with my family. And motherhood for me has been, it's, it was not easy. It was easy to get pregnant. I was lucky in that regard. But my son had a lot of health complications when he was young. He had, uh, he had open heart surgery when he was six months oh, old. Wow. So my motherhood journey started really rough. And it's, uh, yeah, it has not come naturally to me. I'm not a super maternal person. I'm very, I'm quite type A. I really like communication, ironically. I like storytelling. And when you're dealing with a little person whose only form of communication is, is crying or using their body, it, I found really, really frustrating. And my kids are six and four now. And I feel like I'm entering this beautiful place where we can communicate and we can ask each other what our needs are and we can work together to meet those needs. But yeah, it's a juggle. Every day is a juggle. This morning was a juggle. (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful. I'm sorry to hear about your son, but thank you for telling us about your process. From my observation, I don't have kids, but I would say there's not a lot of, there's not a framework for maybe understanding how hard it's going to be. Like now I think people are talking about motherhood is hard and maybe I'm not natural at it. um, Or maybe it's not my sweet spot. But when you first became a mother and you had that dawning realization that, oh my goodness, you know, this is really hard. Did you have people around you that kind of coached you through that reaction or was it something you did in isolation? I didn't really. I was the first of a lot of my friends to have a baby And I, at that point, had seen motherhood portrayed on TV and on social media. And I thought that my nursery had to be white and matching and that I would pop the baby in a little stroller and we would hit up all the coffee shops and try out all the cookies. (laughs) Yeah, I thought there would be more cookies. And it was just, it was really, it was really hard. And it was hard for me because my son was in and out of hospital for very frequently for the first six, seven, eight months of his life. And so we were so closely monitored by doctors that I wasn't even getting to make a lot of the decisions about his early days. And he was on a feeding tube. He had a whole set of equipment and apparatus Mm -hmm. and the rest. And after he had his surgery, he's, he recovered incredibly. And we're so lucky with the support we were able to get. And he's doing really, really well now. And you wouldn't even know to meet him that he had heart surgery. Wow. But yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't go as I have always pictured it to, but I found, you know, again, the blessing of social media. I did find an online Hmm. community of mothers that were also having challenges and challenges in, in different ways. Sometimes it was their own challenges, either physical or, or mental health challenges, or people that had had health challenges with their kids or just people who just, found the experience really challenging. And I do think the more that I've talked about it, the experience being challenging for myself, the more I've invited those kinds of conversations, because it is a very rare situation to be sitting in a group of moms and to say, I'm having a really hard time and to be met with silence. Sometimes you just have to be the first one to say it. I'm so glad you've had the courage to say that in a room full of people 
When you look at the lives of the women around you and those you've supported in their businesses, platforms, talked about motherhood with, what are some of your observations? What have you learned about these women? Just that the experience is so different for everyone. And the experience of being a woman is so different for everyone. We all come from, well, raised in different parts of society and in different families and family structures. And, you know, through the school you went to, like every person is so different and every parenthood patient is so different. And I think the more we talk and the more we share, the more we can support one another. And we can, I also think like our generation is the first generation to raise children with the interest, which makes it so different. My mom, if she was having challenges breastfeeding or something, it wasn't like she could just grab her phone and look it up. She would have to you know, go to the library the next day or make a doctor's appointment. Whereas we have all of this information at our fingertips, which is so good and so damaging at the same time. But I think, I think the, what I see is that we all approach it really differently and re- there's room for everyone. The more we support mm-hmm. one another and the more we lift one another up, the better we will all be. All ships rise yeah. together, I think yeah. the saying is. I want to circle back to the kind of overarching conversation around story. I've been really interested in the story we tell ourselves, And it's mm-hmm. a question I am asking myself. I find myself asking more regularly, like when I was at the gym, you know, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. And I was like, is this, Kelly, is this the story? Like, is that actually true? And I was Just in these kind of like micro moments, I've been asking, what story am I telling myself about who I am or the community I'm involved in or the work I have? Do you have a story you're you're consistently telling yourself that's maybe very true? And you're like, yes, the story is true about it holds me fast to who I want to be. Um, Or are there these like counter stories that permeate our lives? I feel like motherhood was something that really shook my story because mm. I had a story that I was oh, going to be this kind of mom and this is the way I was going to act. And then you shake it up and you think, or it doesn't go to plan. You don't shake it up. It shakes you up. And and then you think I can fight what what is happening to me. or And it's a lot of effort to hold and to maintain a story that isn't truthful. And like, I am nonfiction. Right. <laughs> So yeah, you have to, you really have to, and it comes back to that confidence. And it was hard for me to say, I'm not maternal. This is not coming naturally to me. But as soon as you say it, there's like this huge relief. And the stories that I'm telling myself these days, you know, with the support of counselors that I've had over the years and with the support of the community that I've built and that I continue to build is that nobody is perfect and it's okay to not do that. And not to hold yourself to those perfection standards. And am I trying my best every day? Mm-hmm. And am I doing the best that I can do to be truthful to myself? And am I putting myself first? Because if I'm not, if I'm not filling my own cup, for lack of a better term, I can't fill the cups of others. So am I, and I read this thing, it was, I can't think what his name is. I'll have to find it for you. But the story you tell yourself, he said that he was on a plane traveling somewhere and he planned to do this like one hour gym workout. And then when he got there, he was late and he was tired and all these things. So he did five push-ups in his hotel room because the story he tells himself is that he's a fit person Mm. who makes time for exercise. And so sometimes I'll do that. I'll put my shoes on and go for a walk and I'll say, I'm a person who values health 
and fresh air and movement and exercise. And even just saying that to yourself, I think perpetuates that idea about yourself. Because on the flip side, if you're like, I'm someone who stays up all night watching bad TV and feeling sorry for myself and not accomplishing things, then that story really does perpetuate. I think what you, you absolutely, what you put out into the world comes back. Yeah. And I think it's so true. And I I think even these days where there, there are so many influences on your mental wellness and all the things that we're constantly facing wars and (laughs) epidemics and pandemics. It's like, what story do you want to tell yourself that is true? that also brings life. Like for me, I'm like the story I tell myself is that I am confident and I have something to bring to the table. And, you know, I love building things. I love writing. Like I am constantly choosing to tell myself a story about the things that I do know are true, but that I have to remind myself. And I think a lot of us don't, maybe, and I'm only in my own brain, so I'd never know this, but sometimes I feel like we aren't holding ourselves to a positive story in our brain. And so we have these like, you know, angry interactions around us. And I want to go, what story are you telling yourself? (laughs) It's a really interesting. And the other important story is that you are enough because there's always more to be done. There's always more to write, more to build, more to do, Mm -hmm. more people to talk to. But what you're doing every day is totally or I belong and I'm loved. Mm -hmm. So there's these like very beautiful kind of holistic story of what we tell ourselves. I just hope we, I hope we listen I think that's my main thing is like, I, I hope we all listen to the story we're telling ourselves and course correct if we're telling ourselves a really negative version. Yeah. And again, when like just reflecting on my parenting experience, the way I talk to my children creates the story for them. And I'm always telling them how much their efforts mean and how important they are and all these things. And I think sometimes you need to talk to yourself like you would talk to a child or talk to a friend. It's profound. It's a really great way of looking at it. Jen, yeah. I've loved hearing about your writing and your PR and talking about motherhood so openly. It's such a gift to me. I would love to hear from you what bold means. I think bold is that truth. Um, I think it's saying it's speaking your truth, even if it feels vulnerable and to be bold and going back to those, that storytelling piece, when you are bold, you create space for others to be bold as well and to be vulnerable and to speak your, you know, your truth, even if it isn't exactly where you want to be in your story, mm-hmm. even if <laughs> for a cheesy analogy, even if you're not at the chapter that you want to be to understand that your truth is part of your journey and to be to be bold in each phase of that journey. Absolutely not cheesy, I would say, completely needed. So thank you for sharing that. I would agree with you and yeah, I'm inspired by that. Thank you. Jen, if people want to follow along with you, where can they find you? Yeah, the best place to find me is probably on Instagram. I'm most active there and I'm at Jen, J-E-N-N underscore Wint, W-I-N-T. And then my website is Wint Communications. Amazing. Jen, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been a true delight. Thank you. I really appreciate the uh, the platform that you've created for people to tell their stories, to share your uh, your experience. I think that, you know, podcast, I'm a huge podcast fan and I think they're, they're really creating a lot of great space. It means the world to me. Thank you, Jen.
this podcast is produced in part by Pam Cameron. Many thanks to all of those who have helped me along the way. <laughs>